0: Amen. You know, Psalm 33 says that it is good for the righteous to sing to the Lord, and I would agree. I love singing with you guys. So people have been asking me all week Drew, what are you going to do as a follow up to Chad's dramatic performance of the trials of Jesus through the eyes of Pilate last week? All right, so let's give this a try. <clears throat> to be. Or not to be? That is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. No, we're not doing that today. Because <laughs> I think we've got something a lot more dramatic going on in the life of Jesus. Because we are in the midst of these multiple trials that people are dragging him through. His own leaders of his own people, his own countrymen, Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the teachers of the law have dragged him into this illegal trial in the middle of the night because they're trying to give him a death sentence for claiming to be God. Toward that end, they drag him to Pilate. When Pilate finds out he's from Galilee, he drags him back to Herod. Herod just wants entertainment and so when he won't entertain Herod, Herod sends him back to Pilate. And that is where we find ourselves in the middle of Luke chapter 23 this morning. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn with me. We're going to be starting in chapter 23, verse 13. I always like to turn to the paper copy. I think it's easier to go back and forth, but if you've got an app or something that you can pull up the text, I would say, whatever you do to get God's Word in front of you, that's a good thing. So here we are in Luke 23, starting with verse 13. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast." And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas! Who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then he said to them the third time, Why? Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison but he delivered Jesus to their will. That last verse, 13, 25, 23, 25, that's our key verse today, and I want you to hear that again. It says that he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Listen for those words as we go through this this morning, that he released to them but he delivered Jesus. So I wonder as you hear that, have you ever wanted to be released? Like, have you ever wished that you could be released maybe from the circumstances you're in? Maybe from the consequences of your own actions? Like, if only I could just be set free from this. Have you ever felt the weight of perfectionism? Always trying to get it right, But always seeming to mess up again. And you just wish you could be released. You ever wish that you could be released from guilt, from fear, from shame, from regret, from self-blaming? Well, I think chapter 23 gives us an opportunity for that. And we're going to see it through an examination, a release, and a sentencing. So let's start with the examination, because this is where Pilate comes in. We find that Pilate must examine this man. And in fact, that's his own words. It says that you brought this man to me, and indeed, having examined him, I've found no fault in this man. Now what's really interesting about this is that the Jewish people who had their illegal trial in the middle of the night trying to give Jesus the death sentence in less than a 24-hour period are doing that because Jesus claims to be fully God. What Pilate may not even realize that he also affirms for us in his trial is that Jesus is also fully human. It's because of that that Jesus will be able to stand in our place, because he is like us, because he's been tempted in every way yet without sin, that this one who is on trial as fully God and as fully man stands before Pilate now And Pilate has to examine him. But it's not just Pilate. You and I need to examine Jesus for ourselves. We have to ask all of the same questions that Pilate did. Who is Jesus? What did he do? Why did he do it? And what am I going to do with Jesus? See, it's not just enough to know maybe what the pages say or what it claims that Jesus said or did. Each one of us has to examine Jesus for ourselves and decide, what am I going to do with Jesus? For Pilate, it wouldn't be enough just to say, I declare him innocent. Because at the end of this scene, as much as he tried to pass it off to Herod, as much as he tries to say, "Oh, I'm washing my hands of this. Except, like you did sentence him to death, Right? (laughs) Pilate still has to make a decision. What is he going to do with Jesus? Because Jesus claimed to be a king. Jesus claimed to have a throne. And the reality is that each one of us sits on the throne of our own lives. Am I going to look at Jesus and really believe that he was fully God, fully man, savior of the world, that he is king and get off the throne of my own life and let him sit down and take lead? I met a friend here at Horizon a couple years ago. He had actually been at Horizon longer than I had. But what fascinated me when I I met him, he wasn't convinced yet about Jesus, God, and the Bible. But he would say things like, I want to believe. And I think I'll get there. I just have a lot of questions still. And what I loved about that is that is a far cry from a denial, right? That was a guy who was willing to examine the evidence. Who was willing to explore. He was willing to ask questions. He was willing to dig deep. Because he was trying to figure out what it would really mean if he said Jesus is king of my life. And I love this so much because now today, a couple of years later, like, he is all in on Jesus is king. And even to the point that we were talking about something the other day. And he's like, I feel like there might be a little part of that throne where I'm still kind of trying to sit on the edge. Like, Jesus, you can have most of it, but this part is still me. And he says, you know what, if I find those things, like, I I want Jesus to just show me so I can get out of the way and let him be king of that part too. Uh, Man, what an awesome picture of just spiritual growth in a guy. And the coolest thing is that a couple weeks ago, I got an email from this friend introducing me to a friend of his who would like to ask some questions and talk about faith. I gotta be honest with you. That is why we're here. That is what, not just this building, this place, but us, you and I. Like, this is what we're all about. That I examine Jesus for myself But as I do that, as I explore, as I discover, I get to bring my friends, my family, my neighbors along with me. You know, it's why we talk about equipping services and exploring services. It's why we're trying to create space in the building for new services. It's why we're talking about all this video stuff. Because let's be honest, a lot of my friends, actually, a lot of my friends don't want to come and listen to me talk yet, (laughs) let alone your friends, but they might take a video or an mp3 and then just meet you for coffee or sit over a bonfire. You know, those tools help us, help other people to examine who Jesus is. But it starts with me, right? I have to examine this man. And what did Pilate discover when he examined Jesus? He says very clearly, I have found no fault, neither did Herod, nothing deserving of death. Multiple times in as many verses, he's declaring Jesus to be innocent. Now again, Pilate's just thinking, how do I get out of this? My wife had a bad dream. I don't want to deal with this today. It's the Jew's problem anyhow. But just like he has affirmed for us that Jesus is human, he's affirming something else for us too that is absolutely critical. In fact, this account is in all four of the gospel writers. Now there's a lot of good stuff in all four of them, but especially when you see something that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all thought had to be included. You want to pay attention Because here, Pilate declares Jesus innocent in every way. And if you think about it, at this very same time in Jerusalem, where Jesus is being examined, something else is being examined. At this very time, the Passover lambs are being examined for the sacrifice. And a Passover lamb had to be perfect in every way, Without blemish, checked from head to toe, of good stock, strong legs, no blemishes, nothing dirty, nothing unclean, nothing broken. It had to be perfect in every way to be fit for the sacrifice. And at the same time as the sun is beginning to dawn, as these lambs may be going through their final inspection, we have Jesus standing before us, examined and declared perfect in every way. So that as John describes him, he can be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Pilate doesn't even realize what an incredible role that he plays in this moment. And he verifies this three times. So throughout the passage, Pilate says, I have found no fault, nothing deserving of death. But then the crowd cries out, Away with this man! Pilate then says, I wish to release Jesus, but they shout, crucify him. And a third time, Pilate says, I've found no reason for death in him. But they were insistent, demanding that he be crucified. So three times, Pilate declares his innocence. And the crowd denied Jesus three times. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Literally... A few hours ago, one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, denied him three times. Now standing in this illegal trial, some of Jesus' greatest enemies have also denied him three times. You know, when I used to read this passage, I would get so frustrated with the crowd... And and I used to listen to this song, actually I listened to it again this morning, but there's a song by the OC Supertones where it says, my sin yelled crucify louder than the mob that day. And I hated that line because I didn't want that to be true. Like I would look at this thing and say, if only I was there. Like, I would have been the one going through the crowd. Hey, guys, relax. It's Jesus. He loves you. Remember the bread and all the things. He wants to give you a hug. He wants to take you to heaven. We don't want to do this. Like, I would have convinced them, right? Never mind the fact that not long before this, Peter tried to stop him from that very thing, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And that just a few hours before this, Peter tried to stop his arrest by chopping off an ear, and Jesus said, permit even this but like I would be the one to save Jesus from these terrible people, right? (laughs) And here's what's interesting to me. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, is the one in Acts 3 who stands before probably these same leaders and probably much of this same crowd just a couple months later when a lot of them who had come for Passover would be back for Pentecost. And it's he who gets to speak to them these words. The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God has raised from the dead. And then watch what he says next. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, completely erased, completely removed. Now we know that Peter was reinstated, he was forgiven, and Jesus said, "And you know, now go strengthen your brothers. That makes sense. They were friends. Like, poor Peter, he just made a mistake. But think about this moment. He's speaking, he's looking into the same eyes that Jesus looked into, and telling people who sinned against Jesus by demanding that he be crucified... That their sins can be forgiven because he was crucified and rose again. What a mind trip that is. That my sin needed his crucifixion. That in some strange way, I'm glad Jesus was crucified. And yet that is what we see in this very passage. And so what I realized is, Instead of looking for myself in the crowd, there's actually another man who's been on trial here. So instead of looking for myself in the crowd, I might need to look for Barabbas in myself. See, Barabbas was the rebel. It tells us in verse 18 that they all cried out at once, saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. And the crowd wants to release the rebel. The crowd wants to release the rebel. But think about this now. This is really interesting. If you didn't know this about Barabbas, his name actually means son of the father. Bar, son, Abbas, father. And so it may mean something colloquial like chip off the old block. He's his daddy's boy. You know, he is his father's son, But this was his name, Bar-Abbas. Now, how interesting to have Barabbas, the son of the father, held up next to Jesus, the son of the father. You know, in this way, I think that Barabbas becomes kind of an everyman for us. Because everyone in this room is the child of a father. And everyone in this room through jesus christ has an opportunity to become a child of the father of god himself and yet how can you actually look at this moment and think that releasing the rebel was the right thing to do i mean release the rebel sounds like a huge mistake barabbas was guilty murder rebellion like who wants that back on the streets Sounds like a mistake until I realize there's a rebel in me. Because all of the evidence was stacked up against Barabbas. And they don't even know everything he ever did. They just know about the rebellion and the murder and they declare him guilty as charged. And he is. But what about you and me? You think of yourself as a rebel? You know, in our culture that's become kind of a kind of a good thing almost in some ways. But here's how the Bible talks about it. Because we'll think about, you know, there's right and wrong, and some things are bigger, and some things are smaller, and and I don't know that I'm really responsible for anything that terrible. But the way the Bible talks about it is that anything that you have done to disobey God's perfect standard, and all of us have, only God can live up to his perfect standard. Every one of us has disobeyed him in some way, whether it's big or small, whether I miss the target just a little bit or I miss the entire thing, in archery terms, the Bible calls that sin. That is our rebellion. And the evidence is stacked against us. So, so this is just a little personal quiz. And I have asked myself all of these questions and the evidence is stacked against me. <laughs> so this is not a guilt trip as much as it is a realization of how much like Barabbas we are. So ask yourself some of these Have you ever made excuses for self centered anger? Have you ever dishonored or disobeyed your parents? Ooh, that one's in there. Have you ever talked badly about another person behind their back? Have you ever fudged the truth to make things easier or get things done faster or put work before God? Have you ever fantasized about somebody that isn't your spouse? Have you ever done the wrong thing with the right intentions? Have you ever been passive-aggressive? Or (laughs) active-aggressive? Or how about this? Have you ever uh, heard a list like this? And thought of all the other people that really struggle with these things. The evidence is stacked against us. Every one of us is guilty of rebellion. And yet this is the moment when Pilate says in verse 20 that he wished to release Jesus and called out to them. They shouted saying, crucify him crucify him. You notice Jesus' response here? I and mean, he's standing right in their presence. He can look into their eyes. He can look into their hearts. They shout crucify him they accuse him of things he never did and he doesn't say a word the man who mere hours ago knocked over a crowd with the mere power of his voice when he said I am he The one who was with God and was God, through whom all things were created. Psalm 33 says, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. He foils the plans of nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But nobody thwarts his plans. His purposes stand firm forever. he didn't say a word. And John 3:16 tells you why. For God so loved This is Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, our perfect Passover lamb, bearing the weight of our sin. As Isaiah 53 described, how he would be led like a lamb to the slaughter, yet he would not open his mouth. Because although he could have put a stop to this at any point, he knew that this was how he would release the rebel in you and me. And so when I realize that I'm Barabbas, I start to realize I I deserve the sentence that's being handed down. Like, I'm every bit as guilty And if you imagine yourself as Barabbas, you imagine Barabbas in this moment, he would have been in a prison cell in a place known as Herod's Palace. There are two possible historical locations for Herod's Palace. I'm pretty convinced it's this one. Um, What stands here today is a police station, and beneath that is an ancient Turkish prison, and beneath that they found these massive stones just like the ones that Herod used to build the temple. And so I think that's a pretty good indication. This is kind of his architectural style that, that this might be the place. And what would happen is that as inside Herod's palace was a praetorium where Pilate would be able to hold court, where he would sit on his judgment seat and he would declare innocence or guilt and pass sentence. And somewhere lower in the building, perhaps with a small window, Barabbas would be kept in his cell waiting for his death. And I wonder... I mean, the distance wouldn't be that far. It is very possible that Barabbas, as he sat in his cell, if he had a little window nearby, could hear Pilate, could not hear Pilate declare Jesus innocent. But he probably would have heard the crowd yelling, Release to us, Barabbas! He probably would not hear Pilate say that he wished to release Jesus. But he surely would have heard the crowd yell, crucify him! So if all Barabbas heard was his name shouted by the crowd and then crucify him. Surely in this moment he realizes the time for his excruciating death has come. Because you see, at this very moment, we are mere hours from the crucifixion of Jesus. While somewhere in town, the Jews are inspecting the lambs and making sure everything is ready for the sacrifice. At the same time, the Romans are preparing three wooden crosses for the execution of three criminals, including Barabbas. Somewhere across town, right now, two pieces of wood are being strapped together... To hold Barabbas' corpse. And he never felt the splinters. Because Jesus took his place. Because the rebel was released. See, that's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to release the rebel in you and me. And that's more than just like behavior modification. He's not just saying, stop being so rebellious. He's saying, I want to give you new life, new freedom. That you get to be a part of my family and my kingdom and we are going to celebrate forever. But sometimes we hold on to the rebel in ourselves. You know, we don't hear anything about Barabbas before this and we don't hear anything about him after this either. And I kind of wish we did. (laughs) I kind of wish we had like, the epistle of Barabbas to the whoever, I'll never forget the day Jesus died in my place, right? I don't know. And in some ways, I think, poetically, maybe we aren't supposed to know because you and I have to make that choice for ourselves, right? Well, I let Jesus release this rebel because I can be released from ignoring my own sin because Jesus is offering me forgiveness, I can be released from hiding and from the shame that I feel, because I know that when darkness has light enter in, light brings healing. I can be released from perfectionism, and so can you, because he was perfect for you. And when I begin to release these things, when he brings new life, then I can release anger. And I can show love even to my enemies. I can forgive even my enemies as Jesus did that day. Faced with the people on the face of the earth who hated him more than anyone else in that moment who just months from then would be offered eternal life based on the crucifixion they caused. Because Jesus releases something in me I can do that too. I can be patient with others because he's patient with me. I can release the rebel in myself. You can release the rebel in yourself to God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love. And the way that starts is when you believe Jesus served your sentence. Believe Jesus served your sentence. Verse 24, Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested the death penalty that was meant for Barabbas was passed to Jesus. Now in Roman law, they had something kind of similar to what we think of as double jeopardy. What that meant was, once Pilate had been pardoned for these crimes and Jesus served his sentence, he could never be put on trial for those crimes again. Now think about that for you and I. Because Psalm 103 says... Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, let all that is within me praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins. That means past, present, and future. Whatever it is that you're thinking of right now that you would never tell me, that you hope nobody finds out about, that thing that, that just bugs you because of the regret you still feel over it. Is that part of all for you? Yeah. Past, present, future. All your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Yep, that one too. Yep, even that one. And when you have been pardoned from those crimes and Jesus has served your sentence, you can never be put on trial for them again. No matter how the accuser comes after you, no matter how you come after yourself, because Jesus served your sentence. Because Jesus paid your penalty. So why is this so hard for Christians to take hold of? I was talking to a friend the other day that told me he saw some statistics that describe that actually the majority of Christ followers still wrestle with feelings of unforgiveness, and questions about really the assurance of their salvation. And I can't say that sounds crazy, because I have too. I do at times. And I couldn't tell you how many guys I've talked to just in the last couple months that that were dealing with feelings of legalism, the weight of perfectionism, struggling with really knowing, like, could I get to my deathbed and be confident that when I closed my eyes and woke up in front of God, he would say, well done, welcome home. You know, Melissa and I had a friend um, named Marie, and this was a number of years ago now, but Marie, I think, was about 92 years old, and she had been a Christ follower for, like, over eight decades. And let me tell you, if anybody ever had the spiritual gift of encouragement, it was Marie Abel. I, I kid you not. It, like, the fruit that she would bear to people just by constant, it's like, I, I think she woke up every morning And just saw like faces in front of her of all the people that needed encouragement today. She was just always in the right moment at the right time to give a word from God to just lift somebody up. But as she was getting older and as her health was beginning to fail and she'd had a couple of surgeries, Melissa and I were sitting in her kitchen one day and just just chatting about life and what was next and if she needed anything. And as the conversation went on and she was sharing this whole journey that God had brought her through in her entire life, as she kind of moved up to the present time, she stopped... And asked me a question. At 92 years old, having become a Christ follower when she was 10, she said, but what if I'm not really forgiven? What's crazy in the moment is it feels like it's reasonable for me to ask that. Because I can think of all the terrible things I wish I never did. But Marie, eight decades of Christ following and still there was something that was lingering. what a sweet moment it was just to be able to open the scripture to read things like psalm 103 and to read things like romans 7 and 8 and just assure her listen it's not a feeling it's a promise because if it's just a feeling then today i i did a good job i feel like i had self-control i feel good god is proud of me we're happy together but tomorrow what if i mess up and i don't feel so good and what if God's mad at me and what if he doesn't forgive me after all? Right, if it's based on feeling, you and I are a mess. But it's not based on feeling. It's based on a promise from God himself. And even Paul in Romans 7, if you've ever read it, that's the place where he's going, the things I don't want to do, I keep doing. The things I want to do, I'm not doing. And he ends that chapter by saying, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And then he starts chapter 8. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. In fact, it's later in that same chapter when he says that you've been given a spirit of sonship. You've been adopted. And you get to call God Abba. A child of the Father. Through Jesus Christ. The pardon is available even though your crimes deserve capital punishment. And who would ever turn down a pardon for capital punishment? In fact, in Supreme Court records, if you go back in our nation's history, there's actually a document that says what to do if somebody turns down their pardon. And then it says, no need to talk about that in terms of capital punishment though, because nobody would ever turn down a pardon for capital punishment. Except in 1829, when a man named George Wilson and an accomplice of his were given the death penalty, and his partner was hung for robbing mail trains, and the details are sketchy, but we think murdering mail carriers. So he is also given the death penalty. Now they declared themselves not guilty, they were proven guilty. His friend is hung, and he thinks, uh oh, maybe I should have told the truth, realized, admitted I was guilty. He starts trying to argue not guilty, but he's got friends in high places, and Andrew Jackson himself gives a presidential pardon to George Wilson so that he will not face the death penalty. And for reasons that have been lost to the sands of time, believe me, I was on Cornell's law page for over an hour trying to find something in the court record that said why he did that. He rejected the pardon, and he hung. And what was so interesting was the chief justice wrote into the court record these words, a pardon is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of laws which exempts the individual from the punishment the law inflicts for a crime he has committed. So a pardon is an act of grace, but he went on to say this, but delivery of the pardon is not complete without acceptance. In fact, he even said that if someone pleads not guilty when there's a pardon available for their crimes, then they have waived their pardon. What that tells me is you and I don't want to be in the position where we're saying, God, I'll, I'll explain myself. I, I, I know it looks like a lot, God, but did you see the way that I donated money to Horizon and did you see that time when I went and volunteered and did you see that? Like, most of these don't, like, I balance that out, I think, God, for the most part, at least I hope so. If I try to declare myself innocent, I've refused my pardon. Or if Jesus says I paid your sentence and I don't accept it, then the pardon is not in effect. And this is the exact moment that Romans four twenty five is talking about, when Paul writes that Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. He served your sentence. This is not hypothetical. This is not theoretical. This is not symbolic. Paul is thinking of the exact moment right now when it says Pilate delivered Jesus. He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our justification. That he went to his death, but he did not stay dead. Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, Son of God, and man the Son, conquered death so that you and I have forgiveness and eternal life. So don't try to serve your own punishment. Don't try to make your own case. Don't try to justify yourself. Hear again this key verse from Luke twenty-three, twenty-five. He released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. To be released or not to be, That's the question, and that's up to you. And so I would encourage you here this morning, in the name of Jesus Christ, be released because he was delivered. Whether you feel like you're in the place of Pilate or the crowd, and you need to examine him really for the first time, and make a decision about who he is and what that means for you. Or if you feel like you've, you've done that, you've accepted his forgiveness, but you still wrestle with keeping the rebel in chains, then release the rebel from control because you know God is in control. Release the rebel from regret because you know that you're forgiven. Be released from anxiety, from fear, because you have assurance that it is his promise that keeps you for eternity. Be released from legalism, from perfectionism, from comparing yourself to others. Because in Christ, you are perfect. Be released because he was delivered. Let's pray that way. And maybe you just want to pray those words right now. Jesus, thank you for serving my sentence. I trust you for my forgiveness. Thank you for releasing me. Because you paid my penalty. Help me now to serve you without fear. For God's glory. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you for being here today. You are released. (laughs) We'll see you next week.